Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 81, Listener Mail, recorded on September 7th, 2018. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi. I'm glad we're going to do the listener mail because I don't really follow it or keep track, so it'll all be due to me. <laughs> well, good thing one of us does. And I have to say, the thing about the listener mail that's the most heartening to me is that uh, we've we've only recorded, I think, five podcasts in all of 2018. Shame on us. Shame on us. But people keep leaving comments, which I love and keep listening. And whenever I go to teach or anything like that, people always say, oh, I love the podcast. I listen to the podcast. So that's great. And I know that we just need we just need to be better about being more regular about it. We can do that, can't we? We can. Yes, we can. Yes, yes we can. And yes, we will. Okay. So let's start with the first uh, listener mail that I have here. So I thought actually that we might tackle uh, what was the topic that had the most comments. I think it's also something that we talk about probably the most often. And it's sort of the idea of both teaching and learning. So first, Debbie says, um, such a great podcast. I loved hearing your perspective on the quilt class, especially about the critiques. One thing I appreciate about what I have learned about following you is that you are very encouraging because you want people to keep going. I was thinking about how you could give a more honest critique without crushing students. And for me, I thought maybe it has to do with the student's question to you. For example, something seems to be missing or not connecting. What would you suggest? I know a lot of times what I see in my head doesn't transfer to what I make. Or you could ask, what do you love about what you have done? Is there anything you want slash would do differently? So I thought Debbie's suggestions were excellent. Um, some of that kind of stuff, uh, I absolutely do do. And I think, um, the two things that I really wanted to comment on her comment for a meta meta moment here about is one, uh, is that yes, she says, you know, being encouraging because I want to keep people going. And I think the thing that I express to people all the time in class is that we, we stop doing things because they are difficult, right? We, uh, most of us, most, not everyone, some people, because they're difficult, they get stubborn and they keep going, which fantastic for them. But I am a lazy soul and it's not, doesn't work that way for me naturally. And so I think I try to encourage my students and, uh, you know, other people that I come across to the idea that you need to keep going until you're happy. Because if you want to be a person who is creative and keeps creating, keeps doing these things, you have to find the place where you can find joy in it. So either you have to keep going until you're happy with the result, or you have to learn to take pleasure in the process. You know, one or the other to sort of keep you motivated to keep going. And then the second thing I wanted to comment on in her comment is this idea of questions. And she says, I know a lot of times what I see in my head doesn't transfer to what I make. And this is so the key to so much. I mean, A, happiness, like let go of the image in your head. But B, if you can define what the problem is, then you can fix it. So if you can say something seems to be missing or not connecting, you actually already know how to fix the problem. You don't need me right? If you just say, I don't like it, usually what I do is I walk up to you and say, okay, why don't you like it? I don't know. I don't like it. Okay. But think about it. What is it about it that you don't like? 
And when that process of having to analyze why you don't like it, if you can say, well, something's missing, that's fantastic because then you know what you need to do. You need to add something. You just need to figure out what that thing is. And that's the joy of it. If it doesn't seem to be connecting, then great, make it connect. If it doesn't feel like there's enough uh, you know, movement in it, add some movement. Like anytime you can define what the problem is, you can fix it. What do you think? I think happy is kind of ephemeral. It's hard to say, you know, what is happy. What I would say is it's difficult as the teacher I because you want to avoid what you experienced once in a class at the Art Students League in New York, which really made you unhappy, which was there was a teacher who would put his, put his own marks on whatever it was that you were drawing or painting. He would, instead of giving you suggestions verbally, he would actually now make himself part of the production of the artwork. And that made you really unhappy. And so you want to avoid being too prescriptive verbally, which is the verbal version of actually drawing something on your picture. Although I will just say that there are some students who sometimes you say, will you just draw it on mine? Or can you just draw it on mine? You know, and I think that there's two types of people there. I was insane that he painted on my painting because it's like, even though he fixed the problem, it's like, A, I don't really understand how to fix the problem now. And B, somebody else's hand mark is in my painting. Right. So there's that issue. I do think that sometimes, uh, this sounds peculiar, but looking at it from a different angle, like, if you're near, go back, go far, and look at it. Turn it upside down. Move it to different light. Change. Come back effect. tomorrow. Yeah, I, I think sometimes you can't see it in the moment. It's not dissimilar from, let's say I'm playing Words with Friends, which is a crossword puzzle kind of game with someone online. And I don't see... It's more like Scrabble, Mom. Yeah, or anything. I, I don't see a, any place to go. And literally the next day, it's a duh moment for me because suddenly I see it. So sometimes your brain just keeps going through the old, same old path simply because you can't see past it. And then the next day or turning it around or moving it or putting it, juxtaposing it with something else suddenly brings you that duh moment and you see it. I think you don't have to necessarily be able to produce the change at the second. There's a lot, there are a lot of people who work on more than one piece of art at a time. I do. And, you know, I, I actually, I have always felt that art is a series of acts of problem solving. Right. You create a problem and then you have to solve it. Then you create another problem and you have to solve it. And so that idea of walking away, turning it around, you know, moving away from it, putting it in a different location, like all those things, it's the same things you do with any problem in your life, which is if you had a big decision or a big problem, you might talk about it with a friend. You might write about it in your journal. You might think about it. You might, you know, sort of like brain through what are the possible outcomes of the various decisions until you actually came to a point where you made a decision. And so I think art is very much the same process. Well, also, um, I think art, there is a mind element 
just as there is in lots of things where we think it's just physical until we really get into it. For example, I think you would find a lot of athletes, professional athletes or otherwise, understand that there's a mental, intellectual part of figuring out things to get better, even though we think that athletics is purely your body. And I think a lot of people may be trying to say, okay, doing art is a physical thing and I should be able to uh, execute to my satisfaction through my body's knowledge. And there's got to be an intellectual part, a mind part, in order to get beyond what your body is trained to do, you know, the certain, the paths that your body normally would take that are habitual. Maybe you need to emphasize a little more the mind part so you can get past it. Yeah, I think we all have habits, you know, and it also makes me think of athletes who, who, you know, I've read these things about, uh, you know, uh, for instance, football players taking ballet lessons to learn about balance you know what I mean? And other things because it's forcing their muscles to move in ways that they're not used to and to really think about things they haven't. Or I watched this show, So You Think You Can Dance, and on it there was a ballroom dancer who was talking about taking fencing and how like the pounce or the leap, you know, in fencing uh, had changed his ballroom dancing and he understood like the accuracy of footwork and movement in a different way. I think I think there is in so many different disciplines the importance of getting out of the rut of the way you've always do it. So if you always sit and paint, maybe it's time to stand. If you always stand and paint, maybe it's time to sit. If you always hold your brush in your right hand, throw it into your left. If you, you know, I mean, I think there are a lot of different ways to sort of trick yourself into pushing beyond your sort of what you always do. Your physical habits. Yeah. Yeah. We all have them. I sit and slump in a terrible way. I'm working on it. It's not easy. Hey, I'm trying to <laughs> upright and straight, too. It's hard to sit straight. Isn't that funny? Sitting is very difficult. And to sit properly actually turns out to be enormously difficult. Anyway, that's a topic for a whole other podcast and probably a medical one, not not an art one. Although speaking about like, actually, it would be really interesting to have a doctor or some like chiropractor or something come on to talk about like the kind of stuff that artists do to themselves. Like I definitely have a repetitive shoulder injury in my right arm that I had to go to physical therapy for and like acts up every now and then. I'm sure that I'm developing some sort of carpal tunnel and I'm sure I'll have some arthritis in my hands from various things. I mean, it, it is interesting, not to mention all the respiratory issues that artists get from various chemicals. And, and what well, let's not be scare. Be <laughs> well, let's not Don't scare everybody away. with me. Okay. So um, our next two comments are uh, by coincidence, both from women named Joanne. And one is with an E and one is without. And both women who actually have taken classes with me. And I thought they were interesting because they actually both deal with uh, one of the same topics. So so Joanne C. first says, uh, love your podcast, always do. I guess we all experience fear of failure most of the time in life and in art. I like your example of whether or not to use blue paint. You say, use it or how else will you know if it works? I have artwork that is waiting for the next step and I fear ruining it. 
Well, if I don't take the next step, then it's just an incomplete piece of art, isn't it? And if it is horrible, guess what? There's always gesso, collage, more paint, right? I often attach a preciousness to work that I do. And your examples of looking back on work that was done five years ago is great advice. I have artwork that I did in the past hanging in my house. I am so past what I did then. And I am in a totally different place right now. I took a class with you last year at Whimsadoodle, Go Big or Go Home, and you were trying ever so gently to get me to push myself. I resisted. And now a year later, I think I am ready to put some black paint on that canvas and push. I always tell my students that it's only paper. And I also tell them to use plenty of paper because you never know when something spectacular will happen. And then Joanne H. says, um, you hit the nail on the head every time. You're one of the people that I take classes from because of the way you teach. Decision-making is difficult. One thing I learned from you was to make a decision fairly quickly and just make. Some will be good, some will be bad. So what? Do it again, LOL. In classes, I may not come home with the best work, but I learned how to do what I went to learn. Do it better at home, learn it in class. So both of those um, notes, I felt like dealt with the same idea, which was about getting over the fear of ruining it making decisions quickly and just doing it not like laboring everything with like preciousness and importance and i think part of that is because maybe you're thinking i'll never be able to do something this well again that right uh, so you're doubting your own ability to ever get to this point again somehow as if by magic accidentally the paint or whatever did it all by itself and so, therefore, you have to be careful because if you do something more with it, now you'll never have that magic ha happen again. And I think that's the wrong way to think about it. Not only do I think it's the wrong way to think about it, but I'm going to use a metaphor here because sometimes it's easier in a metaphor, which is if you had a girlfriend and she was dating this guy who was incredibly hot but a total jerk who didn't treat her well, you as her friend would be like, dump him. And she would say things like, but he's so good looking. I'll never find anybody that good looking again. And how will I ever find somebody who's that? And you'd be like, oh my God. You know what I mean? What are you doing? That's the one thing that he has going for him. Like walk away. And I think the same thing is true when you're talking about your art, which is like you say, well, it's missing something, but I'm so scared I'm going to ruin it. And I'll never be able to make something this good looking again. And this is the only time this could ever happen. And you know, what if I do something and it's, and it's, and you can hear the chorus of people behind you who know that you can make something that good again, that you have made other things that good, that you will make something even better. And the real danger is that if you don't push yourself past that point, if you don't shove yourself off the ledge, then you will never make anything that good. And you will never make anything better because you never will have pushed so that that is a comfortable zone. So that becomes a plateau so that every time you can hit that point and now you're pushing yourself further. And then every time you can hit that next point and then you're pushing yourself further. You know, art is athleticism. It is running wind sprints. It is if you can do 50 yards today, maybe you can do 75 tomorrow. Maybe you can do 100 the next day. And maybe that like today, tomorrow, et cetera, metaphor is actually years apart but the point is, every time you push yourself, it means that you are getting yourself slightly past where you're comfortable so that your comfort zone actually moves out. We go back to your metaphor of the creepy, terrible boyfriend who's good looking. There's also an element of self 
esteem there where you're saying you don't deserve this person. You don't know why he's hanging out with you. You're afraid to, to advocate for yourself. I think that you can somewhat attach that then back to the art, which is you don't have the feeling that you could actually produce anything good. And when you do, it's purely by accident. So you're doubting your own ability and you're letting that stop you from going any further. Agreed. 100%. Okay. Anything else you want to say about those letters? No. Okay, so then I wanted to move on to talk about, um, okay, so I like, this is a comment from, now her name is spelled L-I-L-A. I don't know if it's Lila or Lila or Lila. Okay. Um, so she says, I always love your podcast. I listened to most of them twice just to make sure that I didn't miss anything. I truly enjoyed how encouraging some of the things that were said in this podcast about how you th- you think things that naturally come to you as talent, you tend to think aren't valuable. That is so many people, especially a lot of women seem to feel this way. Thank you for encouraging us to be creative and try not to be so critical of our work. Keep up the good work. Please keep making their podcast. They're my favorite of all the podcasts that I've listened to so far. So A, thank you. But B, I think what we were talking about, about... Um, you know, having confidence in yourself, part of it is taking step. Okay. So how do you get confidence in yourself? There are plenty of people who don't feel confident in themselves. I don't feel confident in myself all the time. So what are some steps that you can take? And this is me preaching to you as someone who has taken some of these steps to become more confident. Cause I would say now there are areas in which I feel more confident and I'm working on other areas. So I think the first thing is to look at what comes naturally to you, just like uh, Lila we're saying we think it is, Mm -hmm. just like Lila says here, right? The things that come naturally to you, what comes easily to you naturally? And instead of rejecting those things as stupid or everyone can do them, think of them as special and unique because it's not true that everyone can do them. And so you know, make a list. What are the things that you do in art really well? Do Does color just come naturally to you? Do, are you a person who, you know, can read a book and then remember the tip or idea? Are you a person who can see a painting and go home and be inspired by it? And I know you're going to be like, Julie, seeing a painting and going home and being inspired by it is not a skill. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, it is a skill. There are plenty of people, and I this happens to me all the time when I'm in a museum or I show photos from a museum, and I say, this is what I see in this photo that's inspiring. And they go, oh, I didn't see that. So that is a skill, being able to look at, you know, a field of flowers and find artistic inspiration and not just joy, not just happiness, but artistic inspiration. That's a skill, you know, is your skill being able to put together beautifully coordinated living room? Can you do home decor like no one? That is a skill because arranging things, color, shape, texture, size, that's an art skill. If you can dress yourself, if you're known for your fashion sense, you know, I mean, there are so many skills that people have that they don't, that it's not about how you hold a paintbrush, you know, and whether you know what impasto is. It's not something to eat, by the way. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's like, I think you really have to 
embrace the things that are awesome about you. And trust me, there are some, I, you know, when I, when I force students to um, speak in class, which I always do, because I think it's important to verbalize, I struggle a lot of times with students who cannot find a single positive thing to say about themselves or their work. And it, it often comes down to something like, well, I did it. So it is, I guess that counts. And, and you know what, that does count. The fact that you did it, the fact that you want to be creative is a skill. Not everybody wants to paint. Not everybody wants to draw. Not everybody wants to color. Not everybody wants to, you know, do those things. So that's a skill too. And showing up to class and, you know, doing the work and, you know, having a, a dedicated, you know, even if it's like a dedicated closet tray that is filled with your art stuff, like that is something to embrace and be proud of and not to hide away in a dark corner. You're a person who's striving and, and wanting something. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So if I had to make what you just said into some bullets, I would say so. Do you mean if you had to make some, what I just said into some kind of order that someone could actually understand? Oh, I just am trying <laughs> to break it down. So the, the thing, first thing you said that I thought really resonated for me was learn to look. You want to do art? Learn to look at art, whether it's just you standing and looking at a painting in a museum or a magazine page or a photograph. Really look at it and think about what it is you're seeing. Um, I would say surround yourself with positive people instead of toxic people who are always making you feel bad about what you like to do. Avoid comparing your efforts with other people. And because um, that's thinking that there's a limited pie. And if you're so in this limited pie, if someone else can draw a cow and you can't, they've taken something from you somehow. And then the other thing is, or if you can both draw a cow, but their cow gets more likes. Exactly. Uh, which would never be my cow. I'll just... Uh, you <laughs> See? To, Don't talk that way about yourself, Mom. You need to also go back to this thing of being a little bit heady, a little bit intellectual about what you're interested in. People are reading... Read books, read the internet, talk to people, you know... Don't just think that somehow it's going to come automatically. How did you learn to do anything? You learned did it over and over again. Yeah. I agree. You know, the heading that I wrote over this comment was uniquely you. Meaning for me, after reading this comment, the thing that came out is that you are uniquely you. And whatever those you qualities are, it's time to embrace them and step forward with them. That's right. Okay, so let's talk about this next comment, which is from Sylvia. And she says, Julie, I look forward to your blog and podcast. You never knew that you had a 77-year-old woman following you. I am not a trained artist, but love playing around in my workroom doing mixed media journaling, scrapbooking, stamping, love working with ephemera, fabric, vintage linens, and lace. You are one of my inspirations. Also like hearing you and your mom talk about museum visits. Thanks for sharing. So the reason I wanted to share Sylvia's comment is because I think that people have this idea that there's 
an age limit that somehow you can be too old for something or too young for something or you know what I mean that the time isn't right now and all that kind of stuff and I want to say like I love Sylvia's letter saying you know and she also says she's not a trained artist but she loves playing around and I would say I'm not a trained artist and I love playing around and I think that you know this combines a couple ideas that I think are important which is a it's never too late and you don't need training to be an artist. You just need to say, I'm an artist and make art. That's literally the only requirement. I also think, Sylvia, remember, you and I are in the same decade of life. <laughs> and I don't feel that it disqualifies me from too many things. Maybe rock climbing. Rock climbing. That's because you wanted to and you refused to go to the rock climbing gym. Maybe like those really short shorts that kind of show <laughs> cheeks out the back. I don't know. I saw a woman the other day rocking them and she looked like she might be in your age group, mom. So I think you could do it. If I see her and I judge her as attractive <laughs> in that pair of shorts, then I will rescind that comment. Okay. Okay. But yeah, and this is just, again, like whatever your limit is, maybe it's not age, maybe it's that you don't have time, maybe it's that you don't have space, maybe it's that, you know, don't, don't let your, those, those limits become excuses, I guess is what I'm saying. We all have issues, but if you choose to do it, I mean, I will say, so I saw a uh, ad the other day, which was so inspiring because it was, you know, uh, a kid with no legs wrestling and a guy with, you know, only one arm uh, playing football. And like all these people who have these disabilities where you would say you could not be an athlete, you could not accomplish those things. And they essentially said, you know, up yours, I am going to do it. And I think that 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 is true. Again, we keep coming back to athletics, but that's true of everything. Whatever your limitations, your, I mean, Ray Missigman is a great example. She's legally blind. She's an artist. She just wrote a book on making art. And probably most people don't know that she's legally blind, that she has to paint like two inches from her work in order to see it. I mean, you can do amazing things. Right. Well, another, I think going back to that ad, which I think you're referring to the Nike ad, the new Nike ad that's uh, just do it commercial. Uh, but what I would say is what the part of what the ad is trying to celebrate is that being an athlete doesn't mean you have a perfect body and being an artist doesn't mean that, you know, you draw, let's go back to the perfect cow. And after this podcast, you, think, I was going to say you're cow obsessed, man. We got to get you a, like a draw a cow book. There's such a thing. I'm sure there is. Um, but I, but I think that we can't, we shouldn't all aspire that the only time we can enjoy something is if we are Picasso. So otherwise, we shouldn't even try, right? I should. I agree. Why should you have to be an NFL athlete to enjoy playing pickup football? Like, you know, you don't have to have a chance to play in the NBA to enjoy like a game of pickup basketball. You don't have to be. I just think there's a lot of uh, things about not feeling like you have to be the best at everything, but just feeling like you have to enjoy it. Back to the competition, right? If I, if I am not the winner of Top Chef or the Great British Baking Show, I shouldn't do those things, you know, 
I guess it's more takeout then. Right. <laughs> okay, so for our next comment, I wanted to read a, uh, a comment from Anne. Um, and she says, well, after following you online for actually, I think years now, I finally turned off the TV and listened to your podcast. Wow. Loved it. Now I may figure out how to listen while I'm making art because I would love that. I just listened to Artistic Fear and it was very much everything I believe about making art and fear. But when you got to the part about pricing your art, you struck such a nerve for me. I am so unable to price my art. I have a friend who sternly lectures me that my prices are way too low, but her prices are very high and she doesn't sell a lot. I actually put my art out there, at least partially, to make a little bit of money. I know there are other reasons for me, but having a sale is awesome. Someone liked my art enough to buy it, and yowza, I can splurge on new art supplies or buy groceries, whatever. But I am selling something that took hours to make and lots of expensive supplies for $25. It is so hard. Also, I do not live in a big city where higher prices are more reasonable, and I do not have a car, so it is extremely difficult to schlep my art around trying to find a gallery or have lots of disposable income to pay entry fees. No answers here, just identifying with you. I could see, this is, I think it's a problem for many, many people. Um, and I would say, okay, Try to sell some art on the internet and by mail. Yeah. You know, try to use what's available to you as a way of reaching people. I will also say that there's probably no right price if it's selling and people like it and you then probably the price is right. And if you raise it to a point where nobody's buying it anymore... That's probably, you know, the market, the market sets its own price. That's the old, you know, if you have five apples and you sell them for $2 a piece or you have 25 apples and you sell them for 25 cents a piece, like which one is a better choice to make? Oh, math. I know, math, right? But what I was going to say is there are a lot of formulas out there for people who are interested that tell you things like, your art should cost, so you figure how much time it took you and what would your hourly rate be? Are you going to pay yourself minimum wage, which is what? What's minimum wage in this country now? $9? $11? I think it's less than that, and I think it's different in every state. Okay, well, that's really sad, by the way, but that's a separate conversation. However much you're going to pay yourself per hour, then your supplies, Okay. Your supplies also include your overhead. Are you paying rent for the space that you're in? If it's in your house, is it an area that you would use for something else? And then you're paying, you know, electricity and essentially space, blah, 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 blah. So you figure out what that would be. So then that, whatever that amount is, that is like your break even for you not to lose money on this. That's how much you would have to make. So at $25, I would be guessing that it would have to be something that you're spending an hour or less on and less than $10 of supplies on for that to be break even in my mind. So that's just something to think about. And I mean, it's not a hard rule. And I purely doing it as a business if, if you're purely doing it as a business if you're doing it as a way to like 
feel good about yourself and be excited about stuff, like rock on with yourself, sell it for whatever you want. And just if it makes you feel good, fantastic. But if you're thinking of it as like a how do I figure this out financially, what is the actual business part of it, then that's the basic formula. So some people are going to want to pay themselves $400 an hour or and some people are going to be okay with $5 an hour. You know, it just depends on who you are. I just looked it up. So the federal minimum wage right now is $7.25 an hour, but really the states vary quite a bit because I'm noticing that Michigan is $12 an hour. So, but I think this gets us to the to the idea that most of us should not be judging our value by money. Because in everything, not just in art, like in everything. I, I think we we lose sight of what our goal is if we're not doing it as a business and we're judging our value of the value of our work by money and in fact it it also brings up the whole issue of people who are in the kind of job like social work for example where they do something really important but they don't get paid very much kindergarten teacher and so if they only were judged by how much money they make you'd clearly be making a big societal mistake you have to value people for what that what they contribute what they do and so I would say the same about if you're valuing your art it it is up to you to set a price that would make you feel satisfied and if you're willing to say, if the market wants it, fine. And if they don't want it at this price, I'm also fine. Then you should just go ahead. You should never feel bad after you've made a sale, right? You should never feel like somehow you were taken advantage of. You are setting your own price. And you should set it in at a place that makes you feel good if you sell it. And just remembering, too, that um, postage is serious. Mm -hmm. Like when I have looked into selling some of my work and shipping some of the larger canvases, it the shipping is like as much as the piece of art or right. how much I was going to charge. So then it's like, OK, do I just double my price and say shipping included because people pay, hate paying for shipping? Or do you, you know what I mean? Like there's just stuff there to consider, too, about business. And it's not just the price you pay for shipping. It's the price you pay for the packaging. You know, and it's the time that you spend doing it. Like, does it take you half an hour to box something up? Does it take you 10 minutes? Is the post office near to you or far? Is it a special trip that you have to make? I mean, I think I think we all, everybody who makes art realizes that art is worth a lot and that it's important, you know, to pay people for their work because it's a way of validating them along with supporting them so that they can continue to make a living and feed themselves. But people who are, don't make art don't always see that value in the same way. And that can be very disheartening. I think it's kind of like the idea of surrounding yourself with positive people, which is don't let people be the poop in your ice cream. And I know I've used this metaphor before, but it works for me every time, which is if you have a big bowl of ice cream, okay, and there gets one tiny little drop of poop, i.e. a negative comment in a sea of positive ice cream, you, you are not going to eat that ice cream. You are going to throw that ice cream away because there is poop in it. And that's so silly, right? Because it's just one tiny, tiny little negative comment. 
And interestingly, if there is a whole, like, if you have a bowl of poop for some reason, I don't want to judge. And uh, someone is like, I will scoop this, like, entire case of ice cream into that bowl of poop. You'd be like, no, it's ruined. This is just, that's the whole idea. When I say, like, the poop in your ice cream, it's because negativity, one little bit of negativity, one little bit of negative energy can somehow ruin a day, a feeling, a moment, and anything. And I think we have to sort of develop poop shields, for lack of a better term, to when that stuff comes in, just push it right out and bounce it out and don't let it ruin, you know, what you've got going on. Well, I will say that part of that is about considering the source. I've said this to you many times. When you get down, when you get this negative comment, I always say, consider the source. Why are you letting someone take up residence in your brain? Well, then don't say mean things to me, Mom. <laughs> whining, whining. <laughs> so on that scatological note, shall we move on? So, um, this is another question for us to give some thoughts, which is Candace. She says, uh, love your mom. Of course, you already know this. Uh, I do not do social media, probably age related. And your blog is one of the very few I frequent every day. This is due to your interesting blog content. And of course, your very, very, uh, lively and positive personality. I would recommend your blog and other social media to anyone. Everyone will learn something. And I agree about finding your strengths and sticking to those. I have not yet found my strength when it comes to crafts and arts, but with several house moves, I find the decorating ideas are coming much easier and faster. I believe all the design ideas that come from crafting and online learning really helps. I've also noticed that little decor items like homemade tend to go completely unnoticed by guests. Somehow finding a way to showcase small decor items is currently a goal. If you have some thoughts, please share. Well, the standard response to when you have a couple of small things is group small things together. Then all of a sudden they're a collection and the larger effect of all of them together makes a difference. So instead of putting one small photograph on a wall, you know, three, four, five of them together in a group becomes an idea and it gets more attention. The other, what was the first part again? Because I know I, I actually had a thought. Was uh, it the part about loving you so much, Mom? No, no, that's not what I Was mean. it the part about the blog? Was it a part oh. of the strengths and sticking? Positivity. I was going to say, ah. you make an effort. This is an, you make an effort not to whine or complain about stuff in your blog. This is a, one of the underlying philosophies of your blog. Your blog is not a place for you to vent because nobody needs to read somebody else's uh, unhappiness day after day. Why would you ever do that? So I give you kudos Right. But I do want to be completely transparent then and point out that like I am unhappy quite often. I have a lot of problems and issues like any normal person. I just don't complain and vent about it in public. And I don't ever want my blog or my vlog or my, you know, the podcast or anything for people to think that somehow I'm living a dream magical life riding on a unicorn. Like it's a choice to be positive every day. Yes. 
And I think that's your part of your philosophy behind your, your blog and all those other things is that it is not about, oh, poor me, and I want you guys to validate my unhappiness or to make me feel better. And I give you credit for that because you've been blogging now for years and you've avoided that kind of... And I've been whining for years, too. It's like a perfect combination. Well, only for me, though. Well, I have to say, to be fair, you did call me to complain today, but yes. Yes, but see, we call that, for people to know this, we call it, we say that there's something called the brick of hate. And when, and you're carrying around this heavy brick of hate because you're upset about something. And then when you vent it to one of the people in this family, then we say you've passed on the brick of hate. And now suddenly I feel very light and free because I don't have this brick of hate anymore. Of course, now you've got it. Now I've got the brick of hate. But that's our family metaphor. It is. And it works. And it works. Um, but yeah, I think that was all good advice too about the small decor items. Groupings are key. I also think finding, um, I mean, this is why curio cabinets, frankly, were invented in some way. If, if you're unfamiliar with curio cabinets, there was a rage, is it the 1920s? Maybe? I can't remember. When they had these um, cabinets, which would have all these tiny little, you know, openings, niches, etc., that you could put things in. I mean, I think it's why there are special like racks for your spoon collection and stuff because small items require like a special separate kind of way of displaying them. And so one of the things I've actually done in my house is I have like little square, I have like a, I probably bought it at Target or something. It's like a big square and it's divided into other little squares. And then I have objects in each of the squares People also use printer trays for this. You can find them at, at like antique malls and stuff like that. I mean, there are a lot of options for that, for getting the little things um, to have more oomph for people. So our last, oh, and by the way, if any of you have ideas for Candace, be sure to leave them in the comments. I'm sure she'll be happy to get some more ideas. So our last comment that I thought I would share is from Jacqueline. And she says, hi, Julian, mom. I wanted you to know that podcasts have given me something incredible. They are not only educational, they are also engaging, entertaining, and fun. To me, that is the difference between a teacher who can teach facts and a teacher who can inspire you to learn regardless of the subject. My knowledge of art is about the same as a four-year-old with a box of crayons. Well, maybe not that bad, but close. It was just something I was not interested in. I look at a picture and either I like it or I don't. I never understood how or what to look at. What should I ask myself about the piece? Since I have been listening to the podcast this past year or so, I often found myself going online and looking up a subject discussed because you and your mom made me feel like I just have to know more about this person or this art piece. You two are inspiring me to learn about art at a level beyond just the picture. Something as simple as how does this painting make you feel is very powerful as it will often lead to 10 more questions. I started wondering about this idea of learning to look at art. Is it knowing about the artist? Knowing the painting style? Being able to tell the genre of art or the medium that was used? What are the basic set of skills and knowledge needed to look at art, to understand it, and appreciate it? Just liking art is not enough. I have only scratched the surface, but I am inspired. 
thank you for knocking on the door. Wow. Wow is right. What a gratifying comment. I'm so glad to hear this. Well, you know, I think uh, we have to stop thinking of art with a capital A, that it's only for special people. It's only displayed in these special temples called museums, that ordinary people can't go into galleries and just look with no intention of buying. Uh, I think we have to stop thinking that it's not part of regular life. It's sort of a parallel strand to average people's lives, and only some people are allowed to take that path. And it should come into all our lives, and it does, but we don't necessarily consider it art. For example, if you're looking at an ad in a magazine, actually, it's been curated for artistic value as well as for commercial value. There's all sorts of things that the fabric on your couch, you know, that's an artistic choice or a rug, the presentation of your food in a restaurant that features uh, food that should be a feast for the eyes as well as for the taste buds. I mean, there's all sorts of... I like the greeting card aisle at CBS. Yes, yes. There's all sorts of art around you because it means that things were placed in particular ways for particular reasons, not just stuck there. So then some artistic value has been used to create it. So I don't think you need to be, you don't need a license to see art all around you and appreciate it. I agree. And I think, so I love so much what she says, and I wanted to address some of the questions at the end about looking at art, because I think it was actually the first bullet point when you were pulling out what the bullet should be where you said, like, look at art, like, that's the most important thing to getting better. And I do think that it is an incredible first step. And so I think her questions were like, what are the basic set of skills and knowledge needed to look at art to understand it and appreciate it? You know, do you have to know the artist, the painting style, the genre, the medium, like, what are these things? And I think, I think it's actually a more, it's more complicated than a, this is the way to do it answer. Because I think you look at art for different reasons. You have to know why you're looking in order to know what to look for. Meaning, some days when I go to the museum, and I can go to the same museum and look at the same paintings and have a different experience because I'm looking for something different. So some days I go to the museum and I'm looking for patterns because I want to make stencils and I'm thinking, what designs would make good stencils? And, you know, on those days, I'm drawn to earthenware vases from, you know, the Greeks and the Romans. I'm staring at carvings on the feet of, you know, statues. I'm looking at the clothing in paintings that may have an interesting design or pattern on it, you know. And so that's very much at the top of my mind when I'm looking at art because that's what I'm interested in that day. You know, on another day, I am hot to trot on, you know, technique. And so I'm staring at how did they get the paint so flat? And then I become obsessed with how you get paint flat. And I'm looking at every painting to see if it's flat or not flat. And have they used oil or acrylic or, you know, egg wash or gouache or what's going on? And and so I think, I think 
the most important thing in some ways is to just have a question. And when my brother and I were little and my parents would drag us to a million museums, you know, he and I used to play this game where in order to keep ourselves busy because mom, you insisted on reading every single sign in every single gallery. I think of that as a positive. Okay. Well, one of us does or did. But anyway, uh, so <laughs> he and I would play this game where we would be like, what is the ugliest thing in this room? And then we would spend our time actually looking at everything because we were looking for something that was the most ugly that we could prove to the other one was the most ugly thing in the whole room. You could make an argument for. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so see, having then, a point of view, you had to have a point of view. And exactly. That's book. Right. And that's the point, which is like it made the looking more interesting because I had a point of view and it, it continues to make the looking more interesting you know what I mean? And I don't think it has to be as pointed as the examples I've given. Sometimes you're just like, I'm looking for inspiration. And in that case, it's like, I don't think you make yourself look at paintings that don't grab you at first glance. Instead, you're like, what's exciting me? And then you find something that you find interesting. And then you go, okay, what is it about this that is exciting to me? Okay, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I think if you want to be an art historian, if you want to be a docent, if you want to be a person who can tell people a lot of stuff about art, then sure, you need to know the techniques and the medium and the artist and the history of the, you know, blah, 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 blah. If you're a person who is looking at art for uh, practical reasons, you or know, enjoyment for... or enjoyment, I don't think that you need any of that stuff. So again, it's really like, what are your goals? And they can change, you know, Today, I find it's like I always say this. I had no use for chemistry in high school. I could not understand why I was being forced to take it. I did not like it. I did not enjoy it. I did not do well in it. Chemistry was just a no-go. But now that I paint, I am fascinated by chemistry. I could listen, and I have, <laughs> to an hour-long lecture, you know, on how certain, the weight of certain pigments mixing with certain binders and stuff, you know, and how you have to change it based on da, da, da. I mean, like just endless stuff about, you know, why pigment ink and dye ink are different at a molecular level. Because now that stuff geeks me out because I see the use of it. And it's one of the things I know about my own personal learning style, which is I, I only learn when I can see a use for it. I sort of refuse, it's not intentional, trust me, it's subconscious, but I refuse to learn when I can't see the point of it. I don't know why, it's the way I've always been. It's like when I directed plays, I, I did not particularly enjoy history when I was in school either. But when I directed plays and they were historical and you had to know a lot of historical information around the period, and around the time to understand like mannerisms and how to do things, I was voracious you know, reader, and I just like attacked these history tomes that I, you know, hated in order to get that information, because then it was of use to me in some practical way. And I'm not saying that that's how everybody is. I'm saying that I know myself well enough now to know that's how I am. And so I think that's probably one of the reasons that I have to go with intention to the museum. Otherwise, I don't learn anything there. I don't take anything out. That's a very efficient way to be in the world. That's a very efficient way for you to learn because you only spend your mental energy on things that you will then be able to use. Of course, you close off the possibility of knowing a lot of other stuff that may later come around, but 
you have trust that, then you will go out and figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I wish there's a way that I could be a person. And I know, I mean, you're one of these people, mom, who's like a walking encyclopedia. There are people who just I'll take. I must tell you. I'll yes. Well, who just take in like an enormous amount of information of all kinds and retain it all and have like this incredible deep knowledge. I've always said like, you know, I, I think like a grammar and a high school education, you know, are, are meant to make you into a well-rounded person, you know, a little bit about a lot of things, right? And I've always said the problem is I'm not well-rounded. I'm actually a deeply lopsided person and I just, you know, like what I like and I'm off to the side and I'm never going to be one of these people who just really can like have a conversation with you about physics and a conversation with you about, you know, aeronautics and a conversation with you about literature and a conversation with you about travel. Like there are just, there's a very limited set of things, but I feel like I go after those things with some serious tenacity. You know, colleges now are looking for students who are lopsided. Well, if only I were 18 again, then what a perfect world it would be. That things that when when you look at people who've achieved something, which everyone admires, they're often lopsided. And that's fine. That's true. Okay, so I'm lopsided. You're a well-rounded Renaissance lady. Wow, that sounds like a slam. <laughs> it's not. It's just comparing the differences. There now. Anyway, uh, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to say today, Mom, about all our listener mail and everything else? No, I guess I should start reading it, and I think we should periodically answer it because it leads down some good paths, and it's a way of engaging with the listeners and that's making me think about things. So I like that. I agree. I Well, I like the podcast as a conversation. It's one of my favorite things on earth when people come up to me in the real world, in real life, and say that they listen to the podcast and comment on something that they heard because then it feels like it's more than just you and me chatting. It's like a whole group of people chatting, which I really like. And I hear that comment as, you are not enough. Okay, okay. You, you, I feel like you need some support and some love today, Mom. I'm going to come over after the show and eat your food. Good. <laughs> See you soon. Okay, so it looks like it's time for us to wrap up. And as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com. Do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, and we hope you do, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, all one word. If you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on iTunes. That helps other people find the show. So thank you to everyone who's been doing that. And thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>